From WAMU 88.5, this is Metropocalypse. I'm Martin DeCaro. Will President Trump make Metro great again? Talking about a trillion dollar infrastructure plan. Roads, yes. Mass transit, not sure yet. Plus, it's time to slow down. I just know that it's never a good commute. You said you wanted safety. Well, Metro is slowing down for safety. As our train leaves the station, who knows when we'll arrive, giving you plenty of time to listen to episode 23 of Metropocalypse. The D.C. Metro uh, historically has been a great strength of this region. There's an inconsistency between President-elect Trump, the GOP party platform, and then what's happening outside the building. It doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're adding 30 minutes to your day in a train, you're adding hours to my commute every week. Donald J. Trump ran on a presidential platform promising a trillion dollars in infrastructure spending, twice what Hillary Clinton was talking about. Well, now that he's headed for the White House, Trump and the Republican Congress will start working on it, and it might be the least divisive item on the president-elect's agenda. Democrats already are welcoming at least parts of it. But right now, we can't tell you what it means for Metro and public transit in general. Trump's plan is lean on specifics, and Republicans in Congress have been unfriendly to the idea of spending federal money on local transit systems. But on the local level, voters in cities and states countrywide approved ballot measures to increase public spending on mass transportation, either by borrowing money or raising taxes. So let's start with what we do know about Trump's plan. Rob Puentes is president of the Eno Center for Transportation, a Washington research group. There was some specifics he released just a few weeks ago talking about a trillion-dollar infrastructure plan that was really focused mostly on providing tax credits for private investors to invest in all kinds of different infrastructure. But it comes down to really things that will generate some kind of return for the private party. So toll roads, airports, seaports, you know, things like that that have some kind of return for them to make money. But it's not going to be the kind of infrastructure plan that's going to support mundane kind of gray infrastructure, pothole fillings and and transit operations, things like that. It's going to be things that the private sector is most interested in. As far as transportation as a priority, though, when anyone, Donald Trump or anyone, becomes president, they have a lot on their plate and where transportation falls on a long list of priorities for him. I guess that's what remains to be seen. It doesn't look like transportation is going to be the number one priority by any stretch of the imagination, but I think that some of the larger implications might actually have transportation impacts, and particularly as we think about what's going to happen to global trade and what that means then for things like freight railroads and airports and seaports um, and how people travel globally and how goods move um, around the planet. So that actually might be impacted by some of the larger implications, but it's way too early to know that now. Mr. Trump often said during the campaign that he's the only one that can fix fill-in-the-blank name of the problem, but he will be working with a Republican Congress. What is their commitment? You know, looking ahead again, I'm asking you to prognosticate to funding transportation. Let's take mass transportation. And in a year, Congress will have to decide whether it's going to reauthorize a 10-year spending bill to help rebuild the D.C. metro subway system. The Republican Party platform talks about zeroing out federal support for mass transit across the country. So just taking that on its face, this doesn't look very positive for, for transit across the country. But there are a lot of Republican districts, and there's, we saw a lot of interest in investing in transit in cities and metropolitan areas and states all across the country on Election Day. So there's an inconsistency that has to be sorted out between what President-elect Trump has talked about, where he's talked very positively about the need to invest in mass transit, 
um, the GOP party platform, which wants to zero out those federal involvement, and then what's happening out uh, outside the Beltway in cities, states, and metros, where the demand for spending on transit is still very high. That was Rob Puentes of the Eno Center for Transportation in D.C. All right, so we head toward Inauguration Day with a lot of uncertainty about transportation policy. At the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue, Trump's ideas are being well-received, at least at this early stage, by Democrats. House and Senate Republicans are weary of anything that reeks of stimulus spending. Lauren Gardner is a reporter with Politico Pro. She recently co-authored an article headlined Conservatives versus Trump's Infrastructure Plan. Conservative groups like Heritage Foundation, Club for Growth, they have a lot of sway on Capitol Hill. And obviously there are several members of the Republican Party who are staunch fiscal conservatives. And with President-elect Trump's plan, First of all, there are a lot of gaps that still need to be filled in. Like, what exactly does he mean by a trillion-dollar infrastructure plan? How how does he envision getting that much money out there? I mean, he's talked a lot about leveraging private sector money to realize investments in roads and bridges and whatnot. But in practice, it's just not really anything Congress has considered before. So, and I, I think for a lot of fiscal conservatives in groups like Heritage and likely among some of their allies on the Hill, they're, they're going to have a lot of questions about, well, okay, how does this impact the federal debt? So it's a trillion dollars over 10 years. That's mm-hmm. quite a bit of money. Democrats, looking back eight years ago at the Obama stimulus plan, would have loved that much money for transportation infrastructure, right? Sure, but stimulus is a bad word nowadays. You don't want to hear that, well, it, by you, I mean any conservative Republican out there doesn't want to hear the word stimulus associated with this. And, and any Republican who would like to see some kind of infrastructure deal move through Congress, they know that it can't be labeled as a stimulus. So that's going to be part of the trick here among Republicans who are interested in working with a future President Trump on this issue is making sure that it doesn't look like a giant welfare package for infrastructure needs in the country. And Democrats seem to to like it, though. They like the idea of infrastructure spending. When it comes down to the details, I think they're open to ideas on his specific proposals and and leveraging private sector financing and using tax credits to do that. The devil's still in the details on that, but they're open to, to any any attempt to try to get more dollars out there to rehab roads, fix bridges, get people working. In their statements since the election on Tuesday, they've been very clear that this is an area where they could see potential compromise. And this is really the only issue where they've indicated that. We're speaking with Lauren Gardner of Politico Pro, by now a veteran of the Metropocalypse podcast. She co-authored with Catherine Wolf an article in Politico about conservatives and Donald Trump's infrastructure plan. Lauren, what about subways and Donald Trump and the GOP Congress? Metro wants to see a reauthorization of a 10-year spending bill that gives it a lot of money to rebuild the rail system. But uh, if we're to take the GOP party platform at its word, there's not a lot of excitement in that party to spend federal money on local transit, right? Yeah, that's a big, big question now that we see we have a Republican Senate and a Republican House still, and now you have a GOP administration. and The thing about the party platform is when you think about Donald Trump and where he comes from, he's a New Yorker, he's a real estate developer, he understands the 
significance of mass transit and that it can bring people to the places that are his businesses. So in, in that regard, there are transportation lobbyists who are thinking that a president, a future President Trump, a president-elect Trump could be friendly to transit. But on the other hand, you have this GOP platform out there that is not friendly to to putting federal funding towards that mode of transportation. So it's going to be interesting to see how Congress approaches that. On the other hand, there is no highway bill up for reauthorization for another four years. So that might not be something that they're dealing with just yet, unless it comes up in the context of this broader infrastructure plan. So that, that's that's very much an open question. And when it comes to Metro, I personally think the bigger question is, will Congress keep appropriating money under that 10-year authorization that you were talking about for Metro's capital needs? While that's authorized for 10 years, so that and that ends in fiscal 2019. A couple I more believe. years. Yeah, a couple more years. It still relies on Congress to actually appropriate the money, so it's a separate process. I would keep an eye out for whether or not Metro continues to get that funding, particularly since Senator Mikulski is retiring. All right, Lauren Gardner of Politico Pro, thanks. Thank you. When Metropocalypse continues, we hit the brakes to talk system-wide slowdowns. Next. Hi, it's Diane. The next meeting of my book club is on Wednesday, May 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern. I'll host a discussion of Mad Honey by Jody Pico and Jennifer Benny Boylan, followed by a conversation with the authors. Find out more and register at dianereem.org slash book club. Press ahead on Metropocalypse with a can't-win situation. For years, Metro prioritized passenger service above all else. We now know they routinely ran trains at normal speeds over faulty, even deteriorating tracks. That put commuters and maintenance personnel at risk. So it's a no-brainer, right, to slow down the trains when the tracks need repair? What if there's a problem with train operators not being able to see track inspectors around a curve? That's the situation between Braddock Road and Reagan National Airport. It's an elevated stretch of line, about 4,000 feet of track in a giant S-curve south of the airport. Sight lines are poor, and last month, that almost led to the deaths of two track inspectors who had to jump out of the way of a speeding train coming around that curve. But the decision to slow down yellow and blue line trains there has many commuters seeing red. I went out there last week and I spoke to riders J.R. McDonald and Seal Haviland. How much time is it adding to your commute? I don't really keep track of it. I just know that it's never a good commute. Like it's slow down, it'll stop. That'll drive, that'll make me mad. But like I just sit there and go like, are we, usually we're stopped for no reason or we'll just hang out on the bridge. Uh, I don't keep track of the time, but you know, I just, End up, end up knowing I'm going to be late each day. So it's been adding time? A little bit, yeah. Well, we're, sl- we're slowing down right now, almost to a stop, but now we're picking up speed again. It's kind of par for the course. So this speed restriction has nothing to do with the track defect. It's because two track inspectors were nearly run over by a train that came through here too fast a few weeks ago. 
almost run over. Oh, wow. So they're doing this so, like, hey, don't hit anybody? Have you noticed a difference? Yeah, absolutely. I don't know when it went into effect, but I definitely noticed a difference. And I've noticed at least, I think 10 minutes was the longest that it added to my commute. But it was a, it was a marked difference, especially since it takes me an hour and 15 minutes to get to work every day. So if I have to wake up 15 minutes earlier, it actually does affect my overall quality of life. Um, it doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're adding 30 minutes to your day in a train, you're adding, you know, I work six days a week, so I'm adding hours to my commute every week. Okay, so Metro says the 15 mile an hour speed restriction is causing delays of just two to three minutes between those two stations. Based on my own timing, Metro is right, but there's a disconnect between that data and the experience of the slowdown. First off, as you heard from Seal Haviland, those tiny differences really add up over days, weeks, and months. And they also mean that commuters have to build in extra time in their morning routines. For the average commuter, a few extra minutes can seem like much longer. My next two guests are not your average commuters. James Pizzuro is the creator of DC Metro Hero app, and Steve Rapetsky, a WMATA watcher who tweets at Metro Reasons, our Answers Nerds, unofficial title. So what do the stats actually say? Here's James Pizzuro. So the numbers we're seeing, which we evaluate independently from Metro, are pretty much what they're saying. For the individual trip from the airport, to Braddock Road, we're looking at about eight minutes. And if you look at the other direction, so going from Braddock to the airport, it's actually quite a bit less. So we're actually around seven minutes. But Stephen Rapetsky, the entire length of commute seems to be getting longer. Uh, on social media, some riders were apoplectic when I posted Metro's data about the two to three minutes extra. They said, wait, my, my commute's taking 15 or 20 minutes longer. The trip time between those two stations is only one part of sort of the puzzle. You know, the trains don't ma- just magically disappear or can speed up after after either the two stations. You know, if you have a backup between those two, there will be a backup between Braddock South or National Airport North. Mainly the, more of an issue during rush hour when there, when there are more trains. And apparently Metro is running fewer trains on the yellow line to alleviate crowding. But at the same time, that leaves less space in the trains for actual riders to be able to take them. So this whole issue of speed restrictions, has, well, it's caught on <laughs> recently. <laughs> People are taking more of an interest in it because there are so many more of them. Mm-hmm. Before we get into the causes for the speed restriction between the airport and Braddock Road, let's talk about the issue in general. It's hard to find a list from the rider's perspective of where they are and how many, right? Yeah, so, I mean, WMATA used to make some of this information available, I think, back in May, a list that was, you know, not comprehensive, but it did go over some of the more major pain points, major speed restrictions. Mm. That was after the Smithsonian derailment on the, the curve the empty orange line trend it was. Right. And after that, they put up a, a page of the, the slow 15-mile-an-hour restrictions. The page is still online. It's not being updated. Uh, but there's no, no list being maintained by Metro publicly. The list changes every day. Some of them are because of weather. Some of mm-hmm. them you know, leaves on the tracks, and it won't really affect your travel time. But as you mentioned, some of the speed restrictions are pretty significant and will add several minutes to a commute. There's one specifically from Metro Center going to McPherson on the orange, silver, and blue lines a 15-mile-per-hour restriction between those those two stations, just in that one direction. 
that one little restriction there just about every day during morning and afternoon rush causes you know, train backups that go all the way out to Stadium Armory, sometimes more and sometimes less. Well, let's talk about the reasons. Your Twitter handle is at Metro Reasons. Let's talk about the reasons, generally because there's a tract effect. But at Reagan Airport, Braddock Road, it's not a tract effect. We know that two federal track inspectors are nearly run over by a speeding train. It's a large curve south of the airport, so Metro put in this 15-mile-an-hour speed restriction. There's a tree that's causing a blind spot. But I think both of you, and correct me if I'm wrong, have argued that Metro's overreaching here, that the track inspectors are not out on the line all day long, so there's no need for an all-day-long speed restriction. Is that right, James? Uh, I mean, yeah, there's that argument there of, you know, speed restrictions are usually put in place in anticipation of work or while work is taking place, either work or inspections, actually. Um, And in this case, most of the day, neither of those two things are happening. So you do have this restriction that might be in place for safety reasons, but it is not the typical safety reasons excuse. If the reason for the restriction to be there is for the safety of the inspectors, uh, then it would make sense that the the restriction is only there when there are inspectors out uh, on the tracks that need to be protected. And what's interesting is that when I asked Metro, okay, so why is the speed restriction always in place when the track inspectors are not always out there? The answer I got was safety trumps service. And, you know, I, I usually tend to side with riders who are angry about things. However, for a lot of years, people were calling on Metro to prioritize safety. And now that there are these speed restrictions all over the place and slowing people down, they're not happy about it. Metro can't win, I guess, in that regard. I think the disconnect here is, you know, safety may indeed trump service now. And it's good to see those positive changes being made to the system and, you know, the track workers who are out there, you know, doing their best to obey these new restrictions. I think the problem comes in in terms of communication, right? If riders were more aware of where the restrictions are, if Metro was maintaining its own public list and can tell people where they were, as difficult as that might be on a daily basis, having a team of people dedicated to getting that information out there might alleviate rider concerns. And there is precedent uh, for you know something like a Metro alert or an email or, or a tweet to be sent out you know, perpetually at rush hour for this kind of work uh, in the past. Metro has sent out a Metro alert for speed restrictions that maybe, you know, only did cause a two-minute delay, but what they would word it as is uh, delays are possible due to speed restrictions. Those, those kinds of alerts have been sent out in the past, and they have been very informative because it does inform riders that there is potentially going to be delays on their commute. That would be something that at least I would like to see come out. The bare minimum, I think, would be, would be something along those lines. James Pizzuro of the DC Metro Hero app and Stephen Rapetsky, who tweets at Metro Reasons. As always, we appreciate your nerdy insights. A top federal transportation official is praising Metro for the speed restrictions. Recently, I sat down with Carolyn Flowers. She is the acting administrator of the Federal Transit Administration. One year after the feds took direct supervision of safety oversight of Metro Rail, she says Metro is safer. Even though the customers may see some inconvenience with slower speeds and other restrictions, what we have seen is that Metro has prioritized safety over revenue. And with the advent of the Safe Tracks program, we have seen that Metro has focus and they're accountable now for safety as a priority. Your agency has posted its inspection reports of the safe track work and some of it was eye-opening in that work was not being done correctly. There are communications issues between Metro personnel and members of your agency. Are you concerned by work that's not necessarily being done right the first time? 
yes, I am concerned, um, but we are working with Metro to ensure that they have more training for their employees. Uh, they're bringing in contractors that have uh, the requisite skills to address these issues. They're out there doing uh, more inspections, and I think, you know, the customers have seen this in terms of slowdowns, but those slowdowns are indicative of safety. And as you tweeted uh, yesterday that, you know, this is a sign that they're being more accountable out there now. Let's talk about the speed restrictions. In particular, there's one between the airport and Braddock Road, a speed restriction that's been put in place because two inspectors from your agency were almost run over by a train and killed. You said you believe Metro is safer. It appears that they're taking a safer approach. But when people hear about an incident like that, should people conclude that Metro isn't getting safer? No, I think they should conclude that it is getting safer. Those those incidents, I would say, have been uh, reduced. And, you know, we are working with Metro to ensure that, um, you know, we're taking the correct protocols, they're taking the correct protocols. I think one of the, the things that we have seen through our safety management inspections and investigations is that Metro does have good procedures, but they have to have a culture where people follow those procedures and that they ensure that safety is part of their culture. That is it for episode 23 of Metropocalypse. Next time, let's make this podcast great again. Metropocalypse is produced by Brendan Sweeney and Joe Warminski. Andy McDaniel is our director of content. Alicia Montgomery is our editorial director. All the music on Metropocalypse comes from WAMU's Capital Soundtrack. This week, you heard tracks by Boat Burning and Wonder Church. In the meantime, continued good luck navigating Metro's Rainbow of Misery, a.k.a. Safe Track in the Red Line Shutdown. Until next time, I'm Martin DeCaro.